Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Tuesday, January 21st. And uh, I know I announced I was back last week, but uh, not great timing for a comeback to go from so ill I could not get out of bed to snowed in. I could not leave my house to come down to the studio and record some more episodes for y'all. I do have daily episodes coming this week, so uh, yes, the show is going to be in a more uh, regular release schedule going forward from here on out, I would hope, fingers crossed. Uh, you can hold me to that, but I uh, did want to get something out for you today. do have some more Canucks-centric guests coming up this week as I make good use of the uh, you know uh, all-star week off, the bye week, as it were, uh, to line up some quality interviews and bring some voices from Canuckland to you. Going to take a, a, a stock check, a look in, check up, whatever you want to call it, on the Pacific Division as a whole today. However, I uh, did a little crossover episode with J.D. Hernandez of Locked On Ducks down there in California. He is, of course, very close to all three of those California teams, knows them quite well, and we had a good chat about you know what's going on all over the Pacific Division, the Pacific Division that uh, the Canucks were leading at the time that we recorded this. Uh, not sure if they are still leading now. I believe uh, it's the Vegas game on Tuesday that has the chance uh, to change that. So who knows who's in first place as you listen to this, but it was the Vancouver Canucks leading their division as we recorded this conversation. Without further ado, my conversation with uh, J.D. Hernandez of Locked on Ducks. Uh, we opened the conversation by J.D. asking asking me about myself, which quickly morphed into a conversation about the Canucks as a team. Uh, I am the studio producer for Vancouver Canucks radio broadcasts on Sportsnet 650, so I follow the team pretty closely for the most part. I uh, have kind of a love-hate relationship with the Canucks in that uh, I think that's natural uh, for fans of any team that's never won a championship in a 50-year history. And, uh, you know, the futility feels endless at times. And uh, you just bash your head against the wall being a fan against this team of this team. <laughs> but then there are other times where everything's going great. And, uh, you know, the, the, it looks like nothing but blue skies, uh, smooth sailing for years and years to come. Those moments are few and far between. Um, but I think that's kind of part of the fun of the season is kind of that up and down roller coaster experience of constantly questioning whether this team is good or bad and it's been a hard read this season I think because a lot of the Pacific Division in general has not been particularly good overall so a team like the Canucks can be in first place heading into the All-Star break despite the fact that you know they they have not been particularly good at times you know they did win I don't know if I don't know if all teams are equally bad or equally good because there are good teams then there are worse teams the three teams in California ugh. yeah which <laughs> is which is a big surprise though right like San Jose is supposed to be ahead of the Canucks right now they are not they supposed, are supposed to, be to be the the bottom feeder that we are witnessing at the moment and I don't understand how uh the the rug could just come out from under that team as bad as it has how uh, Eric Carlson has not really been as advertised this season. Yes, they lost some players up front. They lost Pavelski, who I would not have retained if I were them. I thought that was the right move. But perhaps Jonas Donskoy is just like the linchpin that was holding everything together, and we never credited him that way because that team has just completely deflated, it feels like, and, I, and it's baffling to me. Well, they got off to such a slow start because they had that four, five-game losing streak when Evander Kane was suspended for that little fracas right, right. at Vegas early in the season. 
And I would say that ultimately cost them a few games because I feel like that team is a little bit different without Evander Kane. And it showed on the first two weeks of the season. So getting off to that horrible start didn't help them, certainly. And it didn't help Pete DeBoer's case. Yeah. yeah, let's get right into that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pete DeBoer now uh, finds himself back uh, in, in behind the bench, but now for his previous team's biggest <laughs> rival. He's just jumped right across and is now coaching the Vegas Golden Knights, which uh, it feels baffling ah. as well. That's another insane thing. Why would the Vegas Golden Knights feel compelled to fire Gerard Gallant? It makes no sense to me. I feel the same way. Gerard Gallant did a fantastic job with the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Led them to the cup final in their first season. Had a great playoff up until the five minutes. Yeah. If, but we, if, won't, we if, won't get into that. If he had not, you know, run into that five-minute major, like the Golden Knights are off to a second straight cup final appearance, most likely. You know, I think it's fair to say, perhaps. Some people might disagree with that. But, like, that's the kind of team that they had. Yes, they have underperformed this season. That's, to me, like, the funniest thing from a Canucks perspective is that there are there are true believers in this city that want to think that, like, Vancouver is just, like, this dominant powerhouse now, despite the fact they play, like, garbage in roughly half of their games. <laughs> the other half, they look great. Yes, I do agree. But, you know, that maybe the team is somewhere in the middle and not – you can't omit half the results to make your case. Anyways, uh, <laughs> like, the, the, the most compelling thing for me about that is, like – how good can the Canucks be if the Vegas Golden Knights just impulsively made the decision to fire their coach because they they're were worse than the Canucks? Gallant, Gallant had a 118-75-20 and 20 record. You win 60% of your games, and okay, you get fired for, quote, performance issues, end quote, which I think is ridiculous because when you lead your team that well into the cup playoffs, you're doing a good job. You're an expansion team. Yes, they have the Corsi King and Jonathan Marcheseau, but really you have to look at the sum of all equal parts. You know, Fleury had been hurt at times. They still have a good team, I think. Yeah, they. Sh- yeah, absolutely. They have two first lines. That's You can't ask <laughs> for anything more than that. that. All that happened to them is that their goaltending went through a rough spell. Like, that's it. It was two weeks of just kind of... Uh, less than stellar, stellar results from Marc-Andre Fleury and Malcolm Subban. That's it. And that's what got Gerard Gallant fired, ultimately, was two weeks of bad goaltending. So it's a it's a fickle league, but that seems to be the way it is this season, is that teams are just willing to pull the plug on their on their coach uh, in, a, in a hurry, and not just, you know, because of off-ice behavior, though we have seen that several times, too. It just feels like... Teams are a little trigger happy this season, and coaches uh, oh, yeah, coaches say, are yeah. an easy position to scapegoat. Yeah, they're this, he's the seventh coach fired this season. I don't know if you're aware. There have been 18 coaches fired in the past two seasons in the National Hockey League. 18. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is ridiculous, which attributes to the fact that you say the trigger happy. Look, no, some uh, of those firings are merited, though. I, I was very much a proponent of the Nashville Predators moving on from Peter Laviolette. But that is a team that has been extremely patient with coaches. Peter Laviolette was only the second coach in franchise history. So, you know, that's, a, I think, an excusable move on the part of the Preds. 
there are some other moves, however, the Gallant one in particular. And heck, even even if we look back to DeBoer getting fired from San Jose in the first place, yes, it is clear that Pete DeBoer was not the problem with the San Jose Sharks. It's not like they've just lit the world on fire since he's been gone. Much the same with the L.A. Kings. You know, people were blaming the previous year's coaches for the L.A. Kings being terrible. No, the Kings are terrible. I'm just going to be honest. They have a bunch of aging veterans that can't get anywhere and guys that are getting completely lost. And because I'm in Southern California, I see this in person. I see players getting messed up by Todd McClellan being sent down to Ontario and doing even worse because McClellan messed them up. Yeah, and... I mean, look no further than what's happening with Ilya Kovalchuk over the last couple weeks, oh. right? Like, that that never made any sense to me. How are, like, it, it's the same thing with, like, uh, Travis Green when the Canucks were awful, having no time of day for a player like Nikolai Goldobin or, you know, a guy who plays an offensive style who might have some defensive deficiencies. And Ilya Kovalchuk is miles and miles beyond Nikolai Goldobin in terms of what he can do offensively. In my opinion, Ilya Kovalchuk is one of, like, the great players of the last two decades. I if think, he's used properly. Yeah, he's in, he is incredible. And obviously he's not what he was as a young man anymore, but he still has hands. He still has an unbelievable scoring touch. You should be, if you're the last place LA Kings or, you know, circling the drain, certainly, you should have all the time in the world for a guy who who has that one skill that you need but is perhaps lacking in other areas. If you can't score and you have Ilya Kovalchuk sitting in your press box, what the hell is going on there? I mean, they're circling the drain, but it's going to be like that for years. At this point, the LA Kings are completely embracing Team Tank and going for Alexis Lafreniere, which I can't partially blame them for because Lafreniere is a talented player. He's He could be a generational talent, according to some scouts. I don't know if I agree with that. But if you can get a game changer like, like that in the draft, why not, I guess, tank a little bit? And I still don't believe in tanking personally. I think it's a joke. Because you are not guaranteed that first pick, one. And two, the Kings are doing bad, but there's no way they're going to be worse than Detroit. There's no way they'll be worse than Ottawa. Here's They're not going to get worse records than them. Here's my thing, though, is that, first of all, this is a conversation that's happened a lot in Vancouver over the last little while as far as uh, just playing out the string versus actively trying to tank. And the players are never going to lose on purpose. I don't think that's what fans are asking for either when you talk about a team that's tanking. Uh, management can make some decisions to uh, you know, intentionally make the team worse and try to cripple them at the knees or what have you. But I think it's just a mindset thing as well is that like, as a fan, you have the right to be okay mentally if the team loses a ton. You know, it's just it doesn't affect you because you can see the prize at the end from all that losing. That doesn't mean that the team itself is going out there to lose on a night-to-night basis. It's just being accepting of the fact that they're not good enough to win. And yes, you're right. You're, the lottery's not going to play out in your favor, probably. But you are limiting how much it can play against you as well, because exactly because like even if you are, uh, you know, even if three teams move past you because they all win the lottery, you're still only falling three spots. You're still picking somewhere 
relatively high. I, th- I mean, look no further than Vancouver. The Canucks have never picked first overall in their entire 50-year existence. The, the lottery has never gone their way. And in the last couple of years, especially when it has worked against them and they've fallen two or three spots, they've wound up picking the two best players that they've ever picked in there franchise history. Elias Pettersson was a fifth overall pick. Quinn Hughes was a seventh overall pick. I've got faith that Vasily Podkolzin, the player they took this most recent draft, is going to be a hell of a player for them down the line. That's a tenth overall pick. And like... What really matters is the way the draft breaks in front of you. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly where you're picking because all of these guys got passed over for one reason or another. Teams didn't believe they were big enough, so on, etc. You can't control uh, the, the draft lottery and the way the balls are going to fall. You can't control what you do when it's your turn. And you would want your team to have the best possible drafting position possible, which whether that's fifth or third or first is not going to come by wanting to see them win relatively meaningless games in March and April and February. But there's no way I would ever count on the lottery because, you know, the Ducks, they right now have the fifth worst record in the National Hockey League. Yes, it's been 10 minutes finally talking about the Anaheim Ducks. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a Ducks show. They're fifth worst overall, and that's why I haven't looked at Lafreniere as a possible draft pick. You know, when I've talked about this in the recent past, players that I've mentioned. One that I liked was Alexander Holtz from Sweden, who I think is a great talent. That's a reasonable ask for a number six, seven, eight pick. You know, players like that you have to think about, like the Vancouver Canucks. As you said, they got some very talented players. They are still top 10 picks, but they are arguably more talented than the players that were chosen in front of them. And I think Vancouver's done a great job with scouting, and that's propelled them to the top of the Pacific Division, for what it's worth, the top of the Pacific, it's tighter. You know, I'll say how tight it is. It is tighter than a Serena Williams jumpsuit. That's how tight it is. (laughs) The weird thing, too, about San Jose, not to jump off the ducks because this does pertain to them, is that, like, if they had made the commitment to keep Pavelski and keep that whole aging core together— I mean, look no further than Los Angeles. Look no further than Anaheim for that being the wrong move, trying to keep these cores together well after they fall out of their primes, right? I mean, Anaheim is a crazy example because not only are you were you committed to your own aging core, you somehow like absorbed Vancouver's from the glory days of 2011 as well in taking on, you know, Ryan Kessler and and Kevin Bieksa when you did. So like those guys, that old group is not going to lead you to success. San Jose seemingly let go of those guys and still have fallen uh, this precipitously. Sometimes there's just no right move, I guess, in, uh, in today's NHL, it seems. Only this year did Anaheim get rid of all those aging stars and they had a complete youth movement where it seems like everyone's going between San Diego, Anaheim, San Diego, Anaheim pretty much consistently all season long. And every time I go down to San Diego, I say, oh, he was in Anaheim last week. Oh, he wasn't. Wait, what's he doing down here? You know, it's a complete 180 now with a new head coach. Uh, management is taking a different turn and teams need to do that. And and JD, and I, let, me, let me know if I'm off base here, but wouldn't you say despite the fact that the team has been losing quite a bit still again this year, the Ducks are objectively a bad team, I think it's fair to say. 
Wouldn't you say that the energy around the fan base has probably been higher this year despite those results because you have those young guys in the lineup, because you actually have hope for the first time in however many years it's been? You hit it right on the head. Last year, it seemed like there was zero hope, zero chance. You know, Bob Murray kind of ruined a couple of players. And now with this coach Dallas Eakins era that's taking place, there's a sense of hope because Eakins did coach a lot of these young guys. I mean, come on. They have a bunch of guys that can't even drink yet. Well, in the United States. Canada, the drinking age is what? 18, 19? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here in the States, <laughs> the drinking age is 21. So we still have a few guys that cannot drink. That's how young the Ducks have gotten, which is why there's a sense of hope because they're still 2021. 20, Let them develop in the American League as opposed to just putting them on the fires right now. But the sense for the Ducks is they're young. They're going to make mistakes. I've heard this from fans. I've heard this from media. They are young. It's going to be a process. That's going to happen at some point. We don't know when, but at some point it'll happen. And if the Ducks continue with these top 10 picks and draft as well as other teams that had picks like the Vancouver Canucks, you know, teams that scout well, there is a sense of hope for the Ducks. It is so weird to hear you talk about the Canucks as being like a team in an enviable position because like, the, I don't think the fans place. in this market How feel like that not? at all. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Do you feel like the Ducks are getting slept on a little bit, the, the players that they have coming up? Because, you know, uh, it seems a little bit like Florida used to be a bit like this. They'd have these rookies step in and you'd see the team and it'd be like, well, that's a, that's a who's who of who's that? I've never heard of these guys. You know? First off, you can count me as a member of the Jonathan Huberto fan club for the Florida Panthers. I think his game is amazing. But there are some guys that I think people are sleeping on a lot. Uh, Ricard Raquel is a veteran, but people sleep on him a lot. And someone like even Troy Terry, people sleep on. And Isaac Lundestrom, who's only 20 years old. There are some kids that have an extremely bright future in Anaheim that most people don't know about because they keep going up and down between Anaheim and the San Diego goals for example and there's even that little i guess veteran presence and ryan getzloff who has been steady and getzloff is embracing the rebuild and it's weird having a guy like ryan miller still between the pipes still playing at age 39 uh, became a fan favorite in vancouver towards the end of his tenure here what are your memories of ryan miller well he was a, he was loathed originally because it just felt like signing him was an indication that the team was just completely going the wrong way. They signed, you know, Louis Erickson. Similarly, it was just like, this team is bad. Stop putting patchwork free agents on it to plug the holes. Let them leak out. Let the team be as bad as possible. Let's get those, you know, Austin Matthews picks or whatever the top prospect was at the time or what have you. Uh, But towards the end, he had really established himself as a team guy. Uh, you know, he he put his, his neck out to, to try to protect a, a small defenseman in Troy Stetcher during a line brawl in a game in Toronto uh, against, you know, one of uh, Toronto's big goons, Marinson maybe, I can't even remember who it was. Um, but, you know, the just the fact that he was willing to do that, and I, I think that the city really took a shine to him. Look, everybody loves an underdog. It's the same way Louis Erickson is becoming a, a fan favorite right now, <laughs> unlikely as that might seem in Vancouver right now. We want to see uh, someone redeem themselves. We want to see an upswing at the end of the story, and uh, I think Ryan Miller definitely got that in his final year. He was somebody who was not liked at all, and it had nothing to do with him. It was entirely the con 
contract and that it seemed like an overpay that the Canucks were bidding against themselves against nobody else, which seems like a common refrain every single summer. We said it about uh, Tyler Myers this past year, but uh, yeah, no, he was, he was really well liked in this city by the end. And it's always nice to see him pop up again, you know, when the teams play each other now and if he might get the start or if he's just sitting on the bench, it's like, oh yeah, I like that guy. (laughs) <laughs> well, they do play each other again, I want to say, later next month. Uh, yeah, they play each other in February. They play each other in March. Twice. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, well, but but back to the idea that the Ducks are slept on. You were saying people don't know who these guys are, and it might be because Anaheim has nobody going to the All-Star game this week. <laughs> There's not a which is why I have to have guests on this week because I can't talk about NHL All Stars because there are none. Yeah, well, you might. Do you have some AHL All Stars at the very least? We do. We have a former Philadelphia Flyer who's an AHL All Star. Someone that I talked to last week. You may have heard this name, Anthony Stolarz. Uh yeah, that sounds familiar. Anthony Stolarz was famous for having the gritty mask last year. Hell yeah. That's that's why. Oh, there's a whole story. I'll share this again. I shared this last week, but when I talked to Anthony Stolarz, uh, he apparently sold his gritty mask to one of his buddies. And one of his close friends is completely gritty everything. He has gritty t-shirts, gritty shoes apparently, gritty pants, like gritty outfit, everything. And he just needed the mask to complete the ensemble. So Stoli said, you know what? I'll give it to you for a really cheap price. You can have it. There you go. That's, so at least That's awesome. So at least the gritty mask is in good hands. But I thought that was a very funny story. And Anthony Stolarz is one of the, you know, prototypical bounce around between the A and the NHL. He's been up with the Ducks earlier this season. And he went viral for a hot minute just because he had the gritty mask. So there's a good AHL all-star for San Diego. Awesome. Well, it's worth, uh, you know, one guy not making the all-star game uh, who I'm I'm curious to, to gauge your opinion on at, at this point in the season uh, is somebody that Canucks fans were very happy to be rid of at the trade oh deadline boy. last year, and that's Eric Goodbranson. Because I know you felt <laughs> optimistic that Eric Goodbranson could be uh, a positive uh, player for the Ducks when he first landed there. That's, uh, of course, a natural thing to try and uh, be optimistic in the early stages. Uh, what what stage of grief are you uh, at right now? Are we into bargaining? What, what's going on with your feelings on Eric Goodbranson? We're into acceptance at this point. (laughs) That's what's going on. I mean, he's a plug. He's a beloved plug of the Anaheim Ducks. That's what he is. You know, he just recently scored his fourth goal of the season, which ties a career high for goals in a season. Four. That should tell you all that needs to be said about Eric Goodbranson. No, he's he's a good guy. He does what he has to do to get the job done. And the only reason he was brought in is because you know, the Ducks had a lot of injury issues going on early in the season, and so did Pittsburgh, for that matter. You know, Pittsburgh had to dress, you know, 7D, 11 forwards. So they traded for a forward in order to get rid of Eric Goodbranson, which I thought was okay at the time. I mean, he's a younger version of, I don't know, I can't think of anyone. Who'd he be- does, now that you mention it, though, his skill set does seem like it fits, like, the Ducks profile pretty well, even if he's not very good. There's a certain player that I have not mentioned yet that is not playing this season that some Ducks fans are comparing him to. I don't know if I would make that assumption. I don't know if I would make the comparison. But some fans are comparing him 
somehow to Ryan Kessler. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which I think is a terrible comparison, personally. Just just in that he makes a lot of money and is uh, and is no good at all. And, injured, and is a former Canuck. Often injured. Hey, you know yes. what, though? Ryan Kessler, speaking of redemption arcs and underdog stories, that's a guy who left this city on the worst possible terms. And I feel like as he is, you know, not officially retired, but basically done as a player at this point, uh, kind of reflected a lot on the way that his relationship with Vancouver went wrong. And I feel like he's trying to remend that fence, as it were, which should be a mendable fence. Uh, all-time great Canuck. The, the 2011 playoff series against Nashville, one of the most incredible playoff performances you're ever going to see. Uh, he was a spectacular player. His entire prime years, every year that Ryan Kessler was good, basically, save for one and a half in Anaheim, are all in Vancouver. This should be somebody that this city uh, can get behind. But, uh, oh boy. But even Anaheim fans liked him because Kessler had some memorable goals in the playoff runs in 15, 16, 17. You know, the Ducks were within an eyelash of making the cup final, if not for the Nashville Predators. Oh, right. Yeah. I guess the Preds get the last laugh in that uh, Kessler career exchange, though ultimately neither of them won the cup. So who's really laughing in the end? Um, yeah, really. <laughs> but no, that's, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I think of guys like, uh, you know, Francois Beauchemin or even going all the way back to like a Sean O'Donnell type. And like, I love the, Sean O'Donnell. There oh, is something that's like Eric Branson sort of fits that mold, even if he's not as good as those guys. You know what I mean? I mean, he's compared to O'Donnell a little bit. He's compared to George Peros for his incredible mustache. Yeah, they both have a mustache. I was thinking that. No, they both have an incredible mustache. <laughs> there was two weeks there where Good Branson had the most majestic-looking mustache, and fans were going wild over that. That's the thing. Is he he did have fans in Vancouver. They were just all women who thought he was hot. They weren't like fans who thought he played the game amazingly or anything it's like that. It's funny you say that. I go through my friends list on my personal Twitter, and I do consistently see two females that absolutely <laughs> love Erica Branson for that reason. But hey, let's not kid ourselves. That's why he's still that's why he gets the opportunity to, you know, get the kind of contract that he has. That's why he's <laughs> gets put on the top pairings in the NHL despite the fact that nothing in his career has shown he can do that. They all just look at this guy and think, "Well, he he looks the part, certainly. I don't know why he couldn't do it." Uh, <laughs> and he just can't. And that uh, is what it is. We've been talking for a while, and we never talked about the fact that this race is really close. So I want to get your take on this extremely close Pacific Division race, because you have the Canucks that are in first place. Then you have Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, and Arizona, all tied in points going into the All-Star break. And I got to ask, of the other four teams, who do you see as the biggest threat to the Ooh. Vancouver Canucks? Ooh, that is tough. I mean, Vegas has got to be the the biggest underachiever, right? So ultimately, they should have the highest upswing back the other way down the stretch. Really, even with Pete DeBoer, I, <laughs> you know that that roster is talented. That roster is they like I said, they have two first lines, and they have a, a you know not as stacked of a decor as they had in years previous, but it's still pretty darn good. That is a team that has depth. Uh, they they should be much better than they are. You know, I, I joked earlier, but it's not really a joke. They fired their coach because they're worse than the Canucks. That shouldn't be possible. Um, 
which I think goes to show like how good the Canucks really are. I like I never really believed in the Oilers when they were charging out even early in the season. I kind of had a feeling the wheels would fall off that because it always does. Uh, McDavid playing 25, 26 minutes a night, whatever it is, like is not sustainable. You can never. No player can do that, not even Connor McDavid. You know, you cannot play a guy that much and just have no support the entire way along. It's It never works. So I wasn't scared about that. But the Sharks, have, uh, you know, I thought they would be in the mix. They're well out of it. The Flames, I don't know what to make of the Flames. The Flames seem like a very similar team to the Canucks to me. So maybe I am scared of them a little bit in that they uh, are right there in the mix. But when I say similar to the Canucks, that means they also have a ton of flaws because the Canucks are also very flawed. So I think the Flames are more flawed than Vancouver personally. Well, I, you know, that, the... I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> Watching Flames games, they just have long stretches where they cannot score worth a damn. Yeah. Um, That's where they have their issues. You know, power play is an issue for them. Um, Breakaways are an issue for them. They just cannot decide on whether they want to pass or play or whatever. Arizona seems like they can go on a real run here, though, too. Like, I I guess if I have to pick one team that I'm most afraid of uh, to really run away with things in the Pacific, it would be Vegas. I just think they're too talented not to figure it out. But beyond them, it's probably the Coyotes. You only mentioned that this name once in the last little bit we've talked is Connor McDavid, and we have not mentioned Leon Dreisaitl. How about that top line in Edmonton? I mean, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous, right? It's like it's like what what Yarmir Yager used to do when he was. Uh, I think in in the with the Rangers and and then a little bit before that too with the Capitals where the guy was like the only player in the league scoring at a rate far beyond everyone else. Um, like you look at what they are doing at the midway point of the season and it just makes no sense relative to everybody else. But I guess it does make sense in that they're two of the best players in the world and they are feeding the puck <laughs> to each other and they're playing you know twenty two, twenty three, twenty four minutes a night. So. Uh, you're going to get numbers when you're the only guy on your team who can score, I guess. Um, and yeah. that's nothing to take. That that's, doesn't take anything away from the quality of them as players. But I think on other teams, they wouldn't be playing as much, if that makes sense. Like, because you just that does I mean, make sense. Yeah, you, you shouldn't be playing them as much as they're playing right now. Anyways, that's why their team is falling off right now. So, yeah, people are discounting the Coyotes right now because they're so good as far as defense goes. They're not scoring a ton. They don't have a lot of marquee players. But I think. Arizona has one of the best defenses in the entire league, and they have and structure. So, like that's they the, have structure. Yeah, the 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 Oilers sort of have had a bit more structure under Tippett than they had in the past because previously that just seemed like it was you know pass the puck to McDavid and he'll do whatever he wants with it, um, which is sort of what they are now still. Uh, but there are times like even early in the season, it was very noticeable to me that McDavid was really watching when he would jump up and and was staying back and the team was playing very conservative. It's just like, where does that come from? That's the same system that the Coyotes have been playing all along. So this is a new process for the Oilers to try and learn this thing. This has been all that these Coyotes players have ever known, basically, is playing exactly. in this same uh, structural uh, formation and they do. They're do, they're doing great with it. Uh, I think yeah, they're going to make the Rick playoffs. Rick has done a fantastic job yeah. in Arizona, by the way. I Absolutely, think he's, he might be a dark horse for coach of the year in Arizona right now. Might be. And and they still they finally have offensive punch up front. Like it's not, 
you know, Michael Grabner being asked to carry the load, though I, I'm a big fan of Michael Grabner, so don't uh, take that as a slight either. <laughs> I have to laugh at that one for a second. I do like him. Former Canucks first-round pick. Wish things had worked out here. If only that would have worked. Then maybe, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, just maybe, something good would happen to the Canucks. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. If Michael Grabner had still been on the team in 2011, maybe we wouldn't have had to play Jeff Tambellini in the top six of Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. So, who knows? Ooh. Who knows what mm. would have happened? I watched that one at home, and I was going for Vancouver at the time and was disappointed to see that. You know what? I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to upset you. No, it's fine. You know what? Some wounds never heal, but what can you do? You got to laugh and move on. There it is. That's your Locked On Canucks for the day. I will be back tomorrow. Who knows who will be with me, but uh, somebody good, I'm sure. Maybe I'll be by myself. Hey, I'm good. That's still somebody good, isn't it? Uh, We will find out as the week rolls along. Hope to have you with me all along the way as we enjoy some time off here. The Canucks, of course, in relaxation mode, a number of them out of town on holidays uh, during the All-Star break, a number of them heading to the All-Star game themselves. So uh, we'll have that to look forward to this weekend. Uh, you can do me a favor by rating and reviewing the show, throwing me the old five-star review wherever you happen to get the program, whether that's Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. And uh, until tomorrow, you can find J.D. Hernandez uh, on Locked on Ducks later on this week. He's got a Hockey Jeopardy episode that I was lucky to guest on as well, so a lot of myself down there on uh, the Locked on Ducks feed this week. Look forward to that later on in the week and uh, if you are curious about the team from Anaheim uh, JD will fill you in every single day on Locked On Ducks. I will continue to do the same on the Vancouver Canucks until tomorrow I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks part of the Locked On Podcast Network.